If you have your Bibles, if you would, please turn with me to Acts chapter 27. While you're doing that, I would just like to thank Brother Billy and Sister Peggy for allowing me to share your pulpit this morning. Thank you for trusting me with with what God has put on my heart. I always want to honor them. So if this is your first time here, I'm I'm not the person you're going to see all the time. Uh, My name is Sam Wisdom. I'm the youth pastor here. and, And I believe that the word that we're going to read into today is going to be effective. (laughs) I believe we're going to see great results from the word and from what God wants to do here in this place this morning. Acts chapter 27, I'm actually going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, don't don't get bored with me and don't, don't lose me here. If you could just Uh, Tune in really closely for just a minute. We're going to read a large portion of Acts chapter 27 together, and then there's uh, three things that I believe God wants to uh, impress on our hearts this morning, and he's already started that, so we've already got a head start there. And while you're turning there to Acts chapter 27, I just want to fill you in on a little bit of what's going to be happening here this next week and over the coming weeks at Calvary. Uh, Beginning this coming Sunday morning, at 9.30, this is good news, church. Yes, Brother Ken Hogue's adult Bible class is going to be meeting again starting this Sunday. Come on, amen. At 9.30, um, and it is all the way down this, you go out these doors, all the way down the hall uh, there on the very end of the building. That's where that'll be. Uh, we're uh, over the next who knows how long we're still going to be observing social distancing and uh, all of those things there. But I'm thankful that uh, the leadership of the church is, is trying their best to, to find a way to, to do everything and to minister in all the ways that the church has been equipped to minister in. And so I'm very excited to uh, let you know that that's going to be happening again this coming Sunday morning at 930. Having said that, uh, if you are um, attending that class and you have children, uh, if you bring them with you at that time, we're going to ask you to uh, have your children there with you in the Bible class and have them seated with you as our children's classes aren't starting quite yet. Uh, we're still working on getting some of the uh, facilities reorganized to uh, help us keep that social distancing in place. Um, but Starting on June 14th, we're going to begin Sunday school for all ages. So that's wonderful news. Come on, church. Um, We do have a couple announcements for that. Our junior high and high school class, they're going to be relocating to the Family uh, Family Life Center youth room uh, to allow for social distancing uh, because the class that they're in is too small. That's a great problem to have. Um, so that's going to be happening there, as well as our pre-K and kindergarten class will join our first and second grade class. Um, we're still working, obviously, with uh, a lot of our Sunday school teachers. We're, we're working out, uh, we're working all this out, so the, don't take this to the bank as rock solid, uh, but we're, we're trying to make it work out in all the rooms and with all the appropriate staff to, to help it happen Uh, So that's going to begin on June 14th, and then our Wednesday night services will resume again on June the 10th. Come on, church. That's good news. That's good news. And so our youth services uh, will be relocated from our youth room to our gym, uh, again, for social distancing. Our children's services 
uh, the, our two children's classes will be combined together and be re- relocated to Brother Ken's uh, Bible class room uh, there on the end on Wednesday nights. And then our main service will begin on June 10th, and it will be in the parlor room uh, as normal. Um, and we want to thank you for being patient with us and uh, helping us along in all of this. I want to thank all those that have uh, given their input and, and given wisdom and, and good knowledge to know how to uh, start into this again. And oh, one more announcement is we won't have uh, nursery again until further notice uh, because come to find out it's impossible to socially distance uh, with people that can't walk. So uh, we won't have nursery until further notice. We're obviously trying to find ways to, to make that happen again. Uh, we'll keep you filled in on that, but amen, amen. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I'm probably a little bit red-eyed because I had a good cry right before I came up here this morning because the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And I want to read Acts chapter 27. I want to start in verse 10. Uh, but before I jump into that scripture, I got to give you a little bit of the background for this story because it's really going to play a vital role in what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Uh, The book of Acts is obviously written, uh, or not probably not obviously, but it's written by a man named Luke. He's the the beloved physician. A lot of people have the uh, misconception that he was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. He, in fact, was not. Uh, Paul met him sometime later, and and, uh, he became the, what we know today as the beloved physician. He wrote the book of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, and he wrote the book of Acts as a a historical book. So what he did was he, uh, through the adventures he was on and through the, the things that took place in the early church, he, he wrote a written account of all of these things, and he sent it as a letter to someone he calls his good friend Theophilus, and he calls him, oh, great Theophilus, so we have this uh, presumption that maybe he was a governor or a high-ranking official. Uh, but the book of Acts was written as a, a timeline of historical events that would help us to better know the heart of God. And so that's what I believe is going to happen here today. And I want to point out this one story that we're going to look at today. And this is an incredible story, really. Uh, in fact, the, the plot of this story, it's not a fictitious story. It's an actual story, real-life events that happen. Uh, but the plot of this story is so much better than anything you'd see in Hollywood. And I, I've heard students come to me before and be like, man, I really want to read my Bible, but dude, every time I start reading, I just get real sleepy. And I'm like, how? Like, this is the most exciting, thrilling, exhilarating, and life-giving book that could ever be read. So I want to encourage you, because I think that that's not uh, so much of an experience as it is a mentality. We have this mentality that the Word of God is, is maybe outdated or old or that it doesn't apply to our lives anymore. And so we look at it in that light. But whenever you come to understand that the Word of God is alive, it's living and active, sharper than the sharpest sword piercing. I mean, come on, church. It's a good, good book. So I want to encourage you to, to look at it in that light there. And so we're going to do that today. I have a, a quite a large imagination. I've got a four-year-old son that really helps me with that too. Um, so we're going to use our imagination as we read the Word of God to, to try to picture what it would have been like at that time. But a little bit more of the background. Uh, they're the Jewish people. They have... Uh, charged a man named Paul with crimes. 
These were crimes that he didn't commit, so he's going through trials, literal court trials at this point. And uh, they want to move him from Caesarea, which is where he is at, to Jerusalem. Because the Jews thought if we can get him to be transported from Caesarea to Jerusalem, we can ambush his security detail and kill him. Like I said, this is a, an, a very thrilling book. I mean, think, think about a you know, Hollywood style, if you would, for just a second. They're wanting to ambush and kill him, so they try to come up with this plan to have him transported. Any prison break movie you've ever seen, I mean, that's, that's probably what you're going to see right there. During transportation, nothing good ever happens in a car in a movie. They're always getting T-boned or, or something's happened. I don't know. But they're planning to ambush him and kill him. So Paul, he, he knows about this plan. He knows about this plot. So what he does is he appeals his court case to the emperor, to Caesar, which means he wouldn't be going to Caesarea or he wouldn't be going to Jerusalem. He would be going to Rome, and he would be going under much heavier security detail because his case has now become a high-profile court case. And so now they're, they're transporting him from Caesarea to Rome, and that's where our story picks up right here, and it is, it is exciting. So just hang in there with me. Are you ready? Come on, are you ready? We say it all the time in the youth. A quiet church is a? It's a dead church. A quiet church is a? Come on, we ain't no dead church, so I need to hear you preaching back to me. Amen. Acts chapter 27, we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, they're about to leave a certain port and go to Rome, and this is Paul, he's speaking. Acts 27, verse 10, he says, Men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner rather than to Paul. I, I got to mention this too. They're not just transporting him. They're transporting him by ship. So they're, they're having to go over oceans to get him to Rome. And uh, Paul, high-profile guy, nonetheless, he's a prisoner. He speaks his case. I don't think we should go. I think we should stay right here. And you can imagine the security detail. He's like, <laughs> who are you to tell me? Well, we should, you're the prison Dude, if you haven't noticed, you're the one in chains. I'm not going to, why would I listen to you? I'm going to listen to the captain of the ship over here. So that's what he did. It goes on to say, and since Fair Havens, which is the dock where they were at, was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. And when a light wind began blowing from the south, I need you to remember that for later on, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor, and they sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster, or if you live in the northeast, called a nor'easter, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small item named Cotta where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. When the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the strength to strengthen it, they were afraid. Someone say they were afraid. They were afraid. Imagine you're in a boat in ancient Israel, <laughs> crossing a sea, and there is a hurricane, and you're in the middle of it. 
Not a great place to be. It's very safe to assume that everyone on board was afraid. It says they were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, say the next day. A gale force, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, this is day two in the middle of a hurricane, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. They were trying to lighten the ship so that the, the terrible crashing of the waves would have less of an impact. If the ship was lighter, it, it would just be tossed around more instead of just being beaten. The following day, someone say the following day. This is day three. They even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. This is bad, y'all. This is a bad situation. Luke is writing this story. He goes on to say, the terrible storm raged for many days. Someone say many days. So now they're at the point, they don't even remember which day it is anymore. The storm is so bad. And it blotted out the sun and the stars. That's important to remember too. Until at last, all hope was gone. I said half this message was already preached this morning. Brother Don was up here speaking. And he said, when you're in the middle of a storm, the only thing that will get you through is that hope in Jesus Christ. And now we're reading about a storm <laughs> that they're in, and all hope is gone goes on to say, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together. I want you to think about this. He's a prisoner. And he's like, hey, y'all, y'all come in here. Y'all come in here. Y'all come sit down. <laughs> Who's going to listen to a prisoner trying to call the shots unless you have been in the storm for so long and it has battered you so hard that now you are willing to listen to anybody. Any suggestion is on the table. There are no bad suggestions at this point. Paul calls them together and he says this, men, you should have listened to me. He couldn't resist. He had that I told you so moment right there. You should have listened to me. You should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. The title of today's message is that this ship will go down. This ship will go down. Yeah, think about this. There's good old Paul, a prisoner in chains. These seasoned professional sailors are begging for any advice. And he tells them this, hey, 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 take courage. This ship's going down. <laughs> Paul, what did, you, what did you say? I told you I said take courage. This ship is going to be in the bottom of the ocean. Which is it, Paul? Is it, should we take courage? Or are you trying to tell us we're going to die? Because if you're trying to tell us we're going to die, that's, I'm telling you, I ain't going to be courageous about nothing in this place right here. Paul goes on to say this. For last night, this is why he, tell, he tells them, you have a reason to take courage. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't 
be afraid, Paul. I want you to think about this. Paul had a promise from God that he would go to Rome and stand trial. He's on his way to Rome. Paul is afraid. He is at the point of breaking. He is at the point where all hope was gone. But then God sends an angel to give him a word, an encouraging word, and he tells him this, don't be afraid, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. He, remember, Paul is, is telling the soldiers, the, the, the fellow prisoners, the ship's crew, he's telling, take courage. The ship is going down, but it, God sent an angel to tell me that everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And God in his goodness, I'd have been like, hey, hey, stop right there, dude. God in his, okay, where is your God right now? Because if your God was truly good, we wouldn't be in this predicament. We wouldn't be in this situation. We wouldn't be battling with the wind for four days, many days. We wouldn't be right here in this place. Tell me how good your God really is. Can we be honest? I came here to be real this morning. Can we be honest? That would probably be the mentality of most of us. Like, do you, Paul, what is wrong with you, dude? We know you've been blind before. Are you still blind now? Do you not see what's going on? How are you talking about God's goodness in this situation? But he goes on to tell him, take courage, for I believe God. Ooh. It's that hope that will bring you through the storm. So I believe God, it will be just as he said. But we'll be shipwrecked on an island. <laughs> About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, two weeks of hurricane force winds, waves beating the ship. They're throwing stuff overboard every single day. 14 days. They haven't eaten. They haven't slept. They have passed the point of physical exhaustion. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And if you are real with me here this morning, you would probably be able to tell me that you are going through a situation that feels a lot like this. You've heard a word from God. You know his promises are true, but you're like, God, this is day four. This is day six. This is year 17. Where is, where is my breakthrough? I've been praying. I've been worshiping. I've been pushing through for that breakthrough. We talk about breakthrough a lot. Where's my breakthrough, God? Where are you at? What is you doing? I can't find you. I can't see you. The sun and the stars are blotted out. All the navigation that we had is gone. We don't know where we are. God comes and he tells Paul. He gives him a word. Paul says, we're going to be shipwrecked on an island. He doesn't know which island. God didn't tell him, you'll be shipwrecked on Malta. That's where they end up. He just told him, you'll be shipwrecked on an island. But I love Paul's response. I believe God. I believe God. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near, and they dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. And at this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship. Some will say four anchors. And they prayed for daylight. 
In other words, God had given them a word. They threw out the anchors. They just were just doing this in faith. God, you just need to show up now. <laughs> this is probably a, a pretty uh, relating story to a lot of our lives here today. But I want you to notice what happened. It says, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. And just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread. He gave thanks to God before them all. He broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged, and they began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. And when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the four anchors and they left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, they raised the foresail and headed towards the shore. And at last, on the 14th day, there was a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. <laughs> Come on, man. Can we catch a break here? What is happening? The bow of the ship stuck fast. The bow is the front of the ship. It stuck fast. And by the way, a shoal is a, a shallow place in the ocean. Uh, many of us would probably understand it as a jetty. They, they ran into the, the shoal and they got the boat. The front of the boat got stuck. Um while the stern, which is the back of the boat, was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves over and over and over, and it began to break apart. And the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and take off for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Now I want to share about five more verses in, in chapter 28. If you'll flip over to chapter 28, stay with me. We're almost there. It says, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And I'm going to skip down to verse 10. It says, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island, he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laid his hands on him, no social distancing required, and he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and they were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. This ship will go down. 
I wanted to read that because it, it paints a, a broader picture for what I believe God wants to speak into our hearts this morning. If you read the earlier verses of chapter 27, which we didn't get into, it talks about how they had before this journey, they had sailed from Caesarea to Fair Havens, and it was a long, hard-fought journey there. They were tired before they ever got in the ship to sail to Crete. They're going to Crete and then eventually to Rome after the winter had passed. They had been through it all. They had struggled, they had fought, they were tired, they were weathered, they were exhausted, and then the wind started blowing, and they said, we got a little bit of hope. We can still get this boat to Rome. Let's get on board, and let's go. And they thought they could make it. But then the weather changed, and everything went downhill from there. Everything, literally everything went down from there. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? where you thought, I mean, you had been struggling, you had been struggling, and then finally you thought, man, I can make it. I can do this. I can walk this out. I can get us there. I can do this only to find out that you can't. And you got on a boat, and you sailed off. Everything was going fine. The wind was in your favor. And then everything Everything in life changed in a moment, a.k.a. COVID-19, <laughs> a.k.a. family problems, a.k.a. being laid off. If I was to ask you to raise your hand right now, I could guarantee you that probably more than 80% of us in this room here today would say, I'm going through a storm right now. I am fighting for my life right now. But here's the thing. I want to remind you, Paul, there in Fair Havens, he said, we don't need to get on this boat because if we do, there will be shipwreck, loss of cargo, and a danger to our lives. I don't want to get on this boat. And you, some of you may be in this room feeling a lot like Paul. You say, listen, I don't want to get on this boat because I have a feeling that on down the road, things are going to get rough. I don't want to get here. But some of you may be in chains and someone's dragging you onto the boat. Listen, I've, I've been in youth ministry long enough to know that a lot of our students have been dragged onto boats that they never wanted to be on, that they never chose. It wasn't a boat that they stepped onto voluntarily. It was a boat that they were pulled onto involuntarily. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm really thankful that that's not my life story. And I feel so many times whenever they come into my office and say, hey, can I talk to you? This is what's going on. I don't know what to do about it. And I'm just like... I'm crushed, and I don't know what to tell you because my story is like the head of security. The boats that I've been on were boats that I chose to go on. They are boats that I listened to outside voices saying, oh, I think we can make it. And so I said, yeah, I think we can too. Let's do it. And so I've been, on, I've been a, a passenger aboard a boat that I voluntarily chose to get on. Then now I'm headed towards destruction. I don't know which case you might fall in. You might be the person that was dragged onto the boat that you're on right now, or you might be the person that stepped onto it willingly yourself. I want to encourage you this. Even though God told them, don't get on that boat, 
Whether you were dragged or whether you stepped onto it, there was a promise from God that you will make it off the boat. This boat will go down. This boat will go down. I want you to notice this. It says day two they started throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship. And you might be tired and it's only day two. You might be in the storm and the storm is, is, has just begun and you're like, man, I'm already wore out. I'm already tired. I'm already resorting to other options. And you start taking stuff out of the boat that you're on and you begin throwing it overboard. Can I encourage you with this? There, there is a season where there are things that you need to throw overboard in your life. Can I encourage you, though, do not throw away your hope. Do not take your hope and say, this is it. It's over. Overboard. I'm just, I'm in survival mode now. I'm just going to drift along. Let's pull up the sail. Let's let it take us out to sea. I don't know where we're going, but I can't fight it anymore. I'm giving up this. I'm giving up that. I'm giving up my family. I'm giving up on my marriage. I'm giving up on all this. Listen, can I encourage you? Do not give up on the hope you have in Jesus. Hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. And you might be saying, how dare you tell me what to do? You don't know the boat I'm on. You don't know the situation I've been through. I don't. I don't. But this is what I do know. That if you're on a boat, whether you chose to step onto it, or whether you were dragged onto it, if you will hold on to your faith, it doesn't matter what kind of storm it is, with all of its gale, with all of its gust, with all of its, its torment for days and days and days, it does not matter what you cannot, listen, I, I say this with all the love in my heart, but can I be pastoral for just a moment? It doesn't matter what you're going through. It's easy for you to say, jerk. It doesn't matter what you're going through. There is always reason to hope in Jesus. Come on, church. Come on. That's good. The definition of hope in the, the Greek language, whenever we read this word hope, the definition is this joyful and confident expectation of salvation. In other words, you are in a place you need saving from, and hope is that joyful expectation saying, you know what, I'm on a ship that's falling apart beneath my feet. I'm in a storm. The stars and the sun and all sense of direction is completely blotted out. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm headed, but I do know this. There is salvation in the making, and I will joyfully wait. Come on, that's hard. That's hard. It's hard to be joyful in a storm. But let me tell you what, don't lose that hope. Don't lose that joy. When you lose that joy, you're bound for, bound for hard, terrible things. Hold on to that confident expectation of salvation. I have it written in my Bible, the very front cover. I was in college going through some things in my personal life. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to make a commitment whether or not you're going to keep going. So I wrote in the very front of my Bible in big red letters, I shall not quit. And I signed my name to it, and I dated it April 9th of 2012. And I wrote underneath that, if you don't quit, you will overcome. If you don't, come on church, come on. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what ship you're on. I don't know how terrible the storm is in your life. But I can tell you this. If you do not quit, you will overcome. Hold on to that hope. Here's point number two. Eat something now. Eat something now. Listen, if you're in the middle of a storm, you're going to do everything you can to keep yourself from being in the middle of that storm. You're going to throw cargo overboard. You are going to tie ropes around the hull of the ship. You are going to do everything within your power to survive. And the last thing on your mind is going to be self-care. It's going to be taking care of yourself. And I'm not just talking about, you know, self-care, you know. I'm going to go on a 24-day vacation. Self-care, you know. I'm talking about, like, spiritual self-care right now. Don't, Don't get it twisted. I love this. Paul, he tells them this. He tells them, you have been so worried. This is what it says. You have been so worried that you haven't even touched food for 14 days. You have been so worried that you haven't even opened your Bible for 14. Oop. Uh-oh. I'm guilty as anybody else. You're going through a storm. You're trying everything you can to get through in your own flesh. You think you can make it. Can I encourage you? Sometimes you just need to sit down and you need to eat. You need to eat. Paul tells them, eat for your own good. It's for your own good that you eat. Pick it up. Read it. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says, man cannot live. He cannot. It is impossible for man to live by a physical bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you want to live, you've got to eat, church. you got to eat. It doesn't matter what the storm is throwing at you. It doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter what you think you can do with the sails or the oars or anything. Let it all go for just a moment and eat. It's never a bad time to eat in the word of God. Come on, we got to feed our spirits, church. If you're in a storm, you need some spiritual food. Can I tell you this? Can I be real honest? This might hurt you. You don't even need a break in the clouds. You don't even need five minutes without the wind. You just need some spiritual food. You need some spiritual food. Notice what happened in this story. Right after they ate, what happened? They looked up and they saw a coastline. The word of God will open your perception to what's around you. And now listen to me. It might not make it clear. Paul didn't know where they were. They didn't know what island it was. Now, the word of God may not make everything crystal clear in your life, but it will give you direction and where to go. And if you would just choose to hold on to that hope, stand in faith, and walk in the direction that God has placed before you, then let me tell you what, you're going to get to where you need to be. Come on, church. I came to bring you some hope this morning. It says the... The ship's crew, they tried to jump in the lifeboat and escape. They tried to get out. Can I warn you? Even if you're in a boat that's going down, if you try to step out, you will always be stepping out onto a weaker vessel. You'll always be stepping out on a weaker vessel. 
That's why you need the word of God. It's the word that says, hey, hang on. Hey, trust, believe, because you're going to get through this. It's never a bad time to feast in the word. Don't abandon ship, eat the word. Here's point number three. Live by faith. This is the last one. Live by faith. Hold on to hope. Eat something now. Don't wait till later. And live by faith. Live by faith. Because what happened after they ate the food and they looked out and they saw the coastline? They said, hey, there's hope. They said, cut off the anchors. Get rid of it. We don't need those anymore. Throw up the sail. Let's head straight to land. Let's wreck this thing right on the beach. And so they do that. Listen, they cut off the anchors. And there may be times you get in the word of God and, and you get, you know, that, that spiritual food. And so you say, you know what, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to cut these off because I don't even need them anymore. So you cut them off and you throw up the sail and you're like, here I come, Jesus. And you're on your way there. Come on, the first time I've seen hope in 14 days. Here we go. And you get stuck. And you're not just stuck. You're stuck fast. In other words, you really, really stuck. You're not just stuck. You're stuck, stuck. You're in this storm. You've been battling for so long. You finally see hope. And then there's all, come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I came to be real. You know what I'm talking about. You can't. And boom, something gets in the way. And there you are again. You're like, God. I did what you said. I ate the bread. I cut the ties to my old life. I'm headed towards you, and now I'm finding myself in this place again. How do I get from here to there? This boat's going to break apart. That's whenever you have to just learn, and you have to make up your mind to live by faith. I don't know how I'm going to get there. The lifeboat, we cut it off days ago. That thing is gone. I don't know how we're getting from here to there, but I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. And just whenever you think you're stuck and the soldier's like, hey, we need to kill them so they don't escape. Listen, your enemy's out there saying, hey, we need to kill them so they don't escape. We need to kill their family. I'm not talking about literal, physical. I'm talking about, y'all know, you know. We need to get rid of them. We need to take them out. Listen, the, the devil's priority is to steal. That's his priority. That's all he wants. But I love this. Even when they were stuck, and their lives were hanging on by the balance from the decision of one man. Now listen, the security detail for these prisoners, if the prisoners escaped back in this day, if you were a prison guard and your prisoner escaped, you paid the death penalty for them. You would literally be taken and executed for allowing them to escape. But God... It says that the, the head of the security detail says, no, we're not going to kill them. I want to keep Paul here. 
I want to spare his life. So they just said, jump out and swim. If you can't swim, you best grab onto something because it's probably going to be a long ride to shore. So I want to encourage you this. I don't know. You may be looking down at the boat sinking and breaking apart beneath your feet. Can I encourage you? Keep swimming. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. Live by faith. I know there's many of you in here that's, that could testify to this, saying, I shouldn't be here today but God. I shouldn't even be alive and standing in front of you today but God. But God, have faith because even whenever times look bad, there's never a moment that God can't move. I want to share with you this story. It's of an old farmer. Didn't have any money, so he, he plowed his fields with a horse. The horse was his tractor. He plowed the fields. The story goes like this. Uh, one afternoon while working in the fields, the horse dropped dead. Everyone in the village said, oh, man, what a horrible thing to happen. The farmer said simply, We'll see. He was so at peace and so calm that several people in the village, they got together and they admired his attitude and so they decided to give him a new horse as a gift, a strong horse. Then everybody else in the village, they changed their minds. They said, wow, this must be the most lucky guy in the village. Someone gave him a brand new strong horse. The farmer said, we'll see. A couple days later, the new horse jumped the fence and he ran away. And everyone in the village shook their heads. They just said, what a poor fellow. He just got this new horse and it's run away. He must be the most unfortunate man in the world. And the farmer said, we'll see. A few days later, that horse found its own way back home. Everyone in the village said, what? Just whenever we think this dude is, is down, everything turns out in his favor. He must be the most lucky man alive. And the farmer says, we'll see. A couple days later, the farmer's son is riding on the horse. The horse gets spooked. He bucks the son off. The son breaks his leg. Everyone thought, wow, that horse should have just stayed. It, it should have just gone. What bad luck. This must be the most unfortunate man in the world. And the farmer said, very next day, the army comes into the village, drafting new recruits for the war. They looked the farmer's son over and they said, he's not going to do us any good. So he doesn't get drafted. And everyone in the village said, wow, you, you would have never thought. How would, it, how would you have known? This is the luckiest father in the world. And the farmer just said, the point of the story is this. You don't know what's going to happen. And God may give you a word for what's ahead, but along the way, you may find yourself on a boat that's sinking. You may find yourself in the middle of the storm. You may find yourself shipwrecked on an island of who knows where. 
But can I tell you this, what may have been the ugliest situation in your life could be the very boat, the very situation that God uses to bring you to a place of honor and provision. Because the Bible tells us when they got onto the island of Malta, they were met with favor. They were met with favor. They were met with honor, prisoners and all. And whenever it came time for them to sell again, they were given everything they needed. Can I encourage you this morning? Hold on to hope. Eat something now and live by faith because this storm that you're in and this boat that you're on, it will go down. It will go down. Can I tell you this? The ship of loneliness in your life, it will go down. The ship of depression in your life, it will go down. The ship of disease in your life, it will go down. The ship of marital troubles in your life, it will go down. The ship of infertility, the ship of cancer, the ship of of self-harm, it will go down. Hold on to hope. Eat the word of God and live by faith. Come on, church. I hope you leave encouraged today. If you would stand to your feet.